0: Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, everything your dog wants you to know, as well as the Cat Bible, everything your cat expects you to know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The eighth annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the fifth annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make, but what sets them apart is how serious David is about high quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but removal remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. I came upon a situation with a new friend and it was deeply disturbing. She was someone who had, just a few months ago, adopted a pit bull from a young man whose circumstances required that the dog be rehomed, and she already had a Kelpie at home. And I didn't even know her then, only to find out just very recently that there was a horrific dog fight between the two dogs, and the Kelpie was in surgery for over three hours to repair the wounds. And my question became what about pit bulls that are brought into families later in life, or I don't even know, even from puppyhood. So I was very lucky to be able to reach out to a wonderful dog trainer. We've actually had several hours of philosophical conversations off the air about the idea of rehoming a hardwired driven dog into a situation and not understanding that there could be sparks and there might be fire. And what do we do about that? Megan Bunting is in Brantford, Connecticut, and she had actually met this dog when the dog was first rehomed and gave some consultation, and Megan didn't know this had happened either. So Megan, it's very kind of you to come on the show. I know that the whole topic of pit bulls is kind of an emotionally and politically charged issue, and that's not really the only thing we're talking about. When you heard about this situation, since what you specialize in is force-free, non-aversive work with reactive and anxious dogs i mean this is the kinds of situations you're brought into either early or late have you been in a situation where one of your clients either while you're working with them or during the time period or later that their dog goes off and let's say attacks not bites but fully attacks the other dog member in the family has this happened to you before
1: well first of all thank you for having me um yeah, as I'm by virtue of the types of dogs I I tend to see. I usually do get called in after an issue yes, has happened. Too bad. Uh, right, which is like you said, incredibly emotional, and usually um, I'm I'm fortunate enough that all of my clients are word of mouth and they're people who want to do the right thing. Yes, well they, said. Right, they've they've adopted because they want they want to help. They want you know to to help destigmatize the breed. Yes. Um, and I unfortunately a lot of times I think the, the stigma cuts both ways, where it's both the stigma of ooh a, you know a scary pit bull bully type breed, and then also, oh if I just loved them enough or right. loved them the right way, mm-hmm. it wouldn't
0: happen. That is kind um, of magical thinking that people have, right. and and those people that are pity, uh, you know, lovers, which is almost many of the people I know, most particularly Amy Sadler, who's going to come on the show and talk about this soon too, who runs Dogs Playing for Life and works, I would say, almost primarily with pit bulls because the shelters are full of them. I
1: right. would say
0: to them, this is not to stigmatize pit bulls, but it's to understand that there's that love is not does not change a dog's genetics and their brain hard wiring so that if they are set off by whatever trigger their button is pushed they if they are unstoppable if you cannot interrupt the attack whether it's screaming yelling getting a hose throwing something at them maybe trying to grab a tail which is awfully difficult to yeah. do yeah. Uh, <laughs> you didn't Uh-oh. unlove them you didn't not love them enough you didn't not right pay close enough attention, they're doing what they are driven to do. And the, the other dog in this family luckily had a, a heavier coat and mm. is a Kelpie, which is also an intense breed, not known for attacking other animals, but known for hard-driving the herds of, I'm guessing, mostly sheep, that they are hardwired to drive, right?
1: And I, I think that's that's an important distinction to talk about, is that, honestly, I primarily see a lot of herding dogs, Oh. As opposed to bully-type dogs, uh, because bully breeds tend to have uh, animal aggression issues. Right. Because that's what they're bred for. They're mm-hmm. bred to be, they're terriers. They are bred to, you know, and in blood sports, pit bull terriers in particular are bred to be fighting with other dogs. Right. Other types of terriers are bred to be, uh, you know, eradicating rodents in my, my own rat-terrier mix. <laughs> <laughs> um Uh, but herding dogs tend to, tend to have issues with people. Um, they don't, right. So you see a lot more of like the nip because they're in, you know, they're all dogs. So they have a limited tool set to interact with the world. And that's usually their teeth. You know, if they want to put an exclamation point on something, it's teeth. Oh, my God. So it-
0: I, I wish I needed you as a trainer. I would
1: drive to <laughs> Ramford, Connecticut. I
0: love the words you use. I hope that when you guys are listening, you understand this is what a dog trainer needs to sound like really smart, really articulate, and you, (laughs) well, I'm serious. This is very uplifting to me to hear somebody not just spout a bunch of platitudes about, you know, positive reinforcement. Okay, we we got that message already. Thank you, folks. The idea that these are all dog and teeth is how they put an exclamation point on something. My sister, I made the dreadful mistake, people have heard me talk about the dog, (laughs) unfortunately, of of buying at a horse show a purpose-bred mix of a a corgi and a Jack Russell, absolutely oh the worst of both breeds. Just
1: oh no, yeah, neurotic,
0: <laughs> depressed, uh, just right. un, un unmanageable. And you know, Luca just cute as a button as a puppy as ev- all, most right. puppies are, but he would hurt. And if anyone came in the house that was a work type person, maybe mm-hmm. different pants, different smell, different shoes, there was the nip hurting of their feet their legs not okay but you're as you just yeah. pointed out they're putting an exclamation point No person got to deal with this
1: and that's to the to the same point about being hardwired that's the perfect example of uh of drives and of you know going when they feel something that they want to want to emphasize like that what are their instincts that we right. have read into them I I view that more as the hardwired thing as opposed to specific breeds being hardwired for X, Y, Z. So, like, I'll ask clients a lot of times if it's a mixed breed and we're working on some uh, deep-seated behavior issues and we're trying to figure out both what motivates them and kind of what their baseline instincts are of how to deal with the world. Breeds can help inform that so we know if they have a herding uh herding background or a guard background something that we have spent, you know, hundreds of years, yes. thousands in some yes. case of eugenics instilling those instincts in that dog. Uh and it's not the dog's fault that that's what their default behavior is. That's a really but good point. You you know,
0: German shepherds, there are lines of German shepherds, just like there's lines of Labrador retrievers that are meant to be working retrievers, not fat couch potatoes. Sorry, guys, but the labs that are in (laughs) in dog shows now are at least 20 percent overweight. All of them. I don't know what is going on in people's minds. These are fat dogs that are darling or you have working labs that are high drive, really intense dogs. I mean, so, Mm -hmm. yeah. And you've got German Shepherds who, the ones who have that hard drive, are meant to be in the military, are meant to be active guard dogs. And as you pointed out, against people, willing to go against people. I mean, you go find me a golden retriever interested or willing to do that. You cannot train that into a dog.
1: Right. And I mean, but then what happens in like a mix like your sister's dog, where you have now a dog who wants to move other creatures around with its mouse from the herding side and as a terrier bite on and hold and shake (laughs) right like oh boy this is mixing retrieve like this is the and you know i'm sure a larger discussion about the the designer dog fads yes but it's you know it's you evaluate each dog as an individual for sure but you can't ignore the things that are are part of their personality, or part of part of their their baseline, default ways that they're going to deal with problems that they encounter, and, and, and
0: unfortunately,
1: and, for, and for also what people,
0: people, people, people want from them is what people right. wanted from them. This was an, a human desire,
1: right? 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 So, it's like, I mean, ultimately, all it all comes back to being humans' fault, of course. Uh, <laughs> but right, yeah, you know, yeah, but but giving giving them the space to to be a terrier doesn't inherently mean then that they're going to attack and savagely kill everything. Like right. I, I find those to be not the same thing. Um, it's a thing that you can be aware of so that if you have a dog who not isn't isn't well-equipped or confident enough about dealing with the human world that they've found themselves in mm-hmm. and whether that's, you know, as a whole or their specific situation or their specific household like another dog in the household or a cat or you know a mailman or city versus rural uh you you can't hold them responsible for the things that we've we've forced them to be but you can give them other tools in their toolbox to deal with the world I would say where terriers are
0: concerned, which is a huge range of many different kinds of dogs, they look different, they act different, that we have not used them as rodent killers for several hundred years. I grew up with a Bedlington Terrier Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: a lamb-looking dog, charming-looking, adorable. And being a child, I was six months old. He was six months old, Pango, when I was born. So I grew up, you know, crawling with a dog and being like one Mm -hmm. with a dog for sure. And he lived to 16. But he was unneutered because in the 1950s, you didn't necessarily neuter dogs. And I right. had had nothing to do with the fact that he was totally combative with other dogs. Uh, like you might think of what people now think of pit bulls. See a dog, right. attack a dog, grab it by the throat and kill it. I'm not saying that's what pit bulls do. Fighting pit bulls do. <laughs> but, Pango did it. I mean, New York City, yeah. walking across the street, changed the side of the of the of the block going to see <laughs> I remember in Westport going to see some friends who had a lovely black standard poodle and taking the hose and squirting it because Pango had grabbed this dog by the throat blood and right. water everywhere i it was terrifying and it happened a lot <laughs> because when you say you know people have have a way to learn more now and there's books and there's youtubes and there's ways we didn't know anything in the 50s Most people's animals were still living in a backyard. This dog traveled to Europe with us, but it wasn't fun. He was a great dog, but he did try to pick a fight with, I guess it was mostly males. I don't know. I was a little kid, but it was scary. So I think now if you get yourself... A, a terrier-type dog that used to go down to the mines in Wales, like a Bedlington terrier, to get the rats out before the miners went down. It's been a, a minute or two since that's what the mm. dogs were bred for. Whereas there are breeds, Belgian Tervuren, Belgian Malinois, uh, Akitas, dogs that are. Well, I don't know about that. Akitas are still bred to do really severe, intense guard work, but. The Malon, the Belgian dogs are, and other Belgian right. shepherds, and other Eastern European shepherds, they're bred right now today, in twenty twenty three, mm. to be more than willing on command to go after humans in as harsh a way as you can encourage them to.
1: So, not, not out of aggression though. That's out of a trained behavior. That's a trained behavior that the handler is saying. You know, right. we have worked on. Up- I want you to go and put your mouth, and they train with you know the padded sleeves, and it's the whole sport. But same with a dog that has attacked another dog uh, and and caused injury. That's you are now teaching that dog a skill and a behavior that they have practiced. So it's a thing that they know is now.
0: And they'll come out okay. uh, They'll have a few scratches. And they come out ahead, and that's
1: I mean sometimes not. What if you have a chihuahua who bites, like you know they it's it you put your own dog at risk by teaching it. And that's why the the people who do those bite sports, it's their life. you know right. you you're, it, because the dog doesn't have that sense of morality of I'm doing right or I'm doing wrong. It's this is a thing that I get praised, yes. and I get rewarded for, yes. and I love doing it with my person. It's we we inflict a lot of you know both anthropomorphizing in a way that puts a lot of pressure on the dog, but also just a lot of morality that the dog doesn't have,
0: right? Because they're not meant to, because this the right species just they're yeah, they're dogs <laughs> and they're and they right. they have their chemistry set in their brain, and when it's lit up, it's in motion, and you basically right. have a chemical brain reaction. To, and drive to do the thing. We only have another couple of minutes. What cautionary words would you like to give people about bringing any sort of dog into your home if you already have a dog, or how do we get people to be more aware that their love is not going to change a dog's initial hardwiring or their history or what they've been before? Is that just, is that what we just need to say? Just that in itself?
1: I I mean, I think it's, it's a case of knowing knowing your own dog that you already have and prioritizing the family that you have already yes yes and to to have realistic expectations about behavior is that you know there are no guarantees in behavior unfortunately uh and to to be to be kind and understanding to to the dog who is already in your care because the reality is once you have a dog who has a bite history and if they they're in a situation where they're set up to fail, then that dog is probably not going to be able to go on to another
0: home right because it's Except- immoral and and Ill- practically illegal it's immoral and unethical and a bite history is one thing, an attack history takes ratches it up a notch. So at that point no rescue group can take it and if you bring it to a shelter, they have to euthanize the dog because they cannot right. rightfully, ethically, morally put that dog in another home. So and, if you take yeah. in these dogs and they're part of your life or you already have one, just be aware that if you give them the opportunity to express that natural instinct it's you almost putting a death sentence on them. You have to protect them from situations where they will express that. Is that a fair way of putting it?
1: I'm uh, the only thing I would add is just that uh, because of the added stigma of the bully breeds. Again, through no fault of their own, I I see many many herding dogs. Like I said, right? You the standards are higher for an Correct. accident. Yep, that's you know? really well put. And, and it's just, you have to, it's not, it's ultimately not yourself. Like you feel guilty and you feel bad if an accident happens, obviously, but because of the strength and size of a high energy dog who has a lot of emotions and, you know, when they feel that big feeling, something catastrophic can happen. Well and said. then that's, I mean, we,
0: we've run out of time, but that's really yeah. beautifully said. When they feel the big feeling, something catastrophic can happen. So you
1: ha- they, have to, they end up in the price.
0: Exactly. So you have to manage the situation. Yeah. Thank you, Megan Bunting, so much for being here. You're wonderful. I'm definitely hoping you'll come back. There's so many things we can discuss together. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. That was wonderful. Nice to
0: chat with you. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission, to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human-edible, ethically-sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative Dog Chew No Hide and the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Blue Wimarano Maisie will eat.